Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, my fine friends. Welcome to the sixth episode of Season 5 of the Tom Petty Project Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Brown. This is the podcast that digs into the entire Tom Petty catalogue, song by song, album by album, and includes conversations with musicians, fans, and people connected with Tom along the way. The Tom Petty Project is a proud member of the Deep Dive Podcast Network, and you can check out all the shows over on the growing network on Twitter, at Deep Dive Podnet. There are podcasts dedicated to a range of bands from Black Sabbath to Queen to Deep Purple to Van Halen. Uh, so lots of rock and metal, but always fantastic folks hosting those shows. Um, I need to give you all a quick update on the merchandise situation too. So yesterday I was contacted by someone from the Tom Petty Estate asking me to take down the products on the store as they infringe trademark. Um, and I was slightly concerned about that at the, at, when I put the store online, as I mentioned, um, that I'd be taking it down if I across any of those lines. So for now, I've taken everything down and I'm hoping to find a, an amicable solution that allow me to use the designs without having them connect you know, directly to any of Tom's trademarks. And the way I think this might work is to brand them under an 898 label instead of Tom Petty Project. So I'll keep you updated on whether the estate is okay with me going that route, and hopefully we can get the store back online sooner rather than later. Uh, another thing to mention is the super exciting news that dropped last week about the Fillmore box set finally being announced. Uh, head over to store.tompetty.com and check out the various editions of that package. There are tons of fantastic covers that we've all been dying to get our hands on uh, from those shows, as well as some excellent performances of originals that we that we know and love. And I've got my fingers crossed uh, to get the uh, 6LP vinyl set through my local record store. Um, if they bring that in, so supporting local business and buying great records are two of my very favorite things to do. And anyway, uh, today we're talking about the last track on side one of Long After Dark, titled Finding Out. As always, go give the song a listen before we get started, and you can find a link to the track in the episode notes. So once you've familiarized yourself with it, we can get started. Finding Out is one of four songs on Long After Dark that is co-written with Mike Campbell. The only album which features more collaborations between the two is Let Me Up Had Enough. In response to Paul Zolo mentioning how good the drums sound on the song in conversations with Tom Petty, Tom says, yeah, great drums. Stanley played really good on that album. So let's start as the song does with the drums. The entire rhythm section comes tearing out the gate on this one, with Stan's gunfire snare intro giving way to that huge kick drum sound. And through this 16-bar intro, Stan's dropping a heavy foot onto that kick pedal, and Jimmy Iovine's beefy production makes the whole kit sound like an, an artillery barrage crashing into enemy territory. There's some additional tambourine which drops out as we head into that first verse in the percussion as well, um, and the ascending and descending bass line that Howie is playing over that root chord is quite sort of early Beatles McCartney-esque to my ear. And it sets up the tempo really nicely. It's probably Howie's best bass work on this album for me, and he really cuts loose through that intro. As a throwback to the early Heartbreakers records, the guitars on this one are panned hard left and hard right, and you can really hear Mike and Tom's individual parts clearly if you isolate those channels. Tom's tone is brighter and has a little bit less distortion on it, where Mike's has a little bit more grit. And Tom is also playing the chords in higher positions to really differentiate the two parts. But as always, they blend together perfectly. And with Benmont's single organ note line again in the high register, you really feel a sense of building to sort of that breakneck speed. You can almost imagine an F1 car heading into a turn at the limits of its safe speed and almost imperceptibly lifting onto two wheels as it careens back into the straight. Heading into that first verse, the hats close tight and that tambourine drops out to create space for the vocals as they come in. And the guitars also drop back in the mix with Mike and Tom playing a little less in the rhythm section, but with Mike also adding in one of his trademark four-note licks. I like how the structure of the verse in this doesn't repeat the same phrase over the initial eight bars. The first eight and second eight bars mirror the chord progression of the intro, with the minor key in the first giving way to the major in the second. 
Uh, and then we have a two-bar lead into the chorus in which Tom sings the lead line. We also get arpeggios in that right channel guitar to fill out the sound. The build into that chorus is again driven by a Stan Lynch drum fill, and this section, which has the eight bars of the minor key and then four of the major rather than eight, to slightly change things up before going back into the intro chord progression. The chorus, of course, features a beautiful harmony from Howie Epstein, which Tom mentions to Paul Zolo, saying, I remember Howie doing the harmonies, and he sang some really good harmonies on that. Howie's tone is so clean and pure and stands in wonderful contrast to Tom's grittier delivery. There's another little sort of easy-to-miss Mike Campbell fill heading out of that last bar before the second verse, so listen closely on the left channel, and it's a descending little rock and roll lick. Very tasty. The second verse-chorus pair follows the first with the exception of Benmont's organ staying higher in the mix through the minor chord first half and building back into the chorus again through the major chord second half of that verse. The second chorus gives way to a solo, which also acts as the first part of the middle eight, in that it changes the chord progression, alternating between two major chords, with Mike adding in a soulful, simple, melodic section before Stan's drums crash like a freight train into the vocal bridge, which again changes key and stays in the major, with the melodic fills this time coming from Benmont rather than from Mike. And this section leads back into a final chorus and then the fade out, which sees the band really light it up and go out all guns blazing. At times in this section, Stan goes to a sort of almost a breakbeat for four measures or goes to playing double time with the kick and is washing the cymbals pretty, pretty heavily throughout. Mike is laying down his trademark licks and actually goes into a, a sort of precursor running down a dream-esque progression at about the 320 mark if you listen for that. And Ben Mont's pro- providing, you know, a fat, juicy foundation on the organ for all this to sit on top of and Howie just repeating those ascending and descending runs while Tom is scatting over the lyrics and Howie and Tom's I'm Finding Out refrain is added in just to bring everything to a sort of a perfect crescendo. <laughs> All right, folks, it's that time again. Uh, Time for some petty trivia. Your question from last week was this. Which one of the following is not a side project for at least one of the Heartbreakers? Is it A, Speaker Wars, B, Blue Stingrays, C, Silver, or D, the 360 Band? Well, most of you would know that Speaker Wars is Stan Lynch's current band who have an album dropping in the near future and are about to go out on tour. Um, Blue Stingrays was an instrumental surf rock four-piece featuring current heartbreakers Mike Campbell and Ben Montench and the, at the time, former heartbreaker Ron Blair, as well as Mudcrutch drummer Randall Marsh. The 360 band includes three former members of Average White Band, including heartbreakers drummer Steve Ferroni. So the answer to this one was Silver, which was a 1970s country rock band featuring Mudcrutch guitarist Tom Ledden on bass. Your question for this week is this. During the Heartbreakers' 1997 Fillmore residency, they covered a James Bond theme song on 10 of the 20 nights. Can you tell me which Bond movie that song was from? Is it A, Moonraker, B, Goldfinger, C, Live and Let Die, or D, The Spy Who Loved Me? Okay, back to the song. Vocally, I always get a, a sort of a foreshadowing of Saving Grace from 2006's solo effort, Highway Companion. If you listen to the phrasing and intonation on the lines, looking over something and pain is so romantic, it's really similar to the way Tom sings Country Homes and Ranches on the 2006 song. Um, and during the verses, Tom's in his upper mid-register and he's sort of backing off that snarling attack that he could have employed. Instead, it's more of a, a heart-worn delivery than an angry or a distraught one. 
And again, those harmonies that Howie lays down really shine through as it's that sort of call and response format in the first part of the chorus. So you can really hear his voice very, very clearly. You can also hear Tom double tracking his vocal uh, during the second verse on the line, they go by, I couldn't understand. Um, so that's an interesting choice. A lot of bands and producers would maybe have added a double track or harmony there to that whole second half of the verse. But Tom and Jimmy instead restrict it to those two lines. And you also get that same thing in the first verse, but on the lines, fight this emptiness and subtly on something more to this. So again, just some, you know, some little arrangement choices that give the song a slightly more dynamic feel as the structure of the song is fairly straightforward. The lyrics to this one are probably in the top, I'd say, two or three on the album. You know, up there with Straight Into Darkness and Change of Heart. Maybe you got lucky. And Tom tells Paul Zolo, the song is about finding out and finding something you didn't know. So maybe that was the punchline. It's about self-realization. And Paul also comments on the line, I don't think pain is so romantic, with Tom responding, pain is not that romantic, though it's certainly been romanticized. And Paul mentions that many songwriters say that when their life is in turmoil, that's when they write their best work. And Tom's response... Surprised me a little bit because Tom definitely managed to draw deep from the well of his emotional low points, especially on later albums. But he tells Paul, it's not necessary. You don't want to beat yourself up just to write a song. Even if I'm writing a sad song, I'm usually happy when I write it. When you're sad, you don't feel like writing. I don't. It's an interesting observation and definitely wouldn't be true of all artists. But again, shows that Tom is able to look at pain somewhat objectively and sort of disconnect from it and use it rather than be defined by it artistically. This is something that Morrissey could probably learn a thing or two about. There's also another one of Tom's clever lyrical twists in this one, in that first verse when he sings, I must be looking over something rather than overlooking something, which is what he means. Uh, so that simple little bit of wordplay that subtly changes the impact of the line and changes the cadence of how he bounces along when he sings it. Overall, though, it's, a, you know, it's definitely a hopeful, positive song and resolves in the bridge with the line, you have pulled me from this river of loneliness. So it's a positive love song from Tom, or if we switch it back to Tom's frustration with the industry and the quote-unquote process of rock and roll, it's maybe about recognising and thanking the muse when it chooses to visit him. And I see echoes of that in more of these songs since I chatted to Megan Volper, and it's entirely possible that it's not exactly the case, but again, it's that wonderful duality or multiplicity of interpretation that Tom was so very good at building into his lyrics. <laughs> Okay, folks, that's all for this week. Um, I found this weird. On the official Tom Petty YouTube channel, the song only has 73,000 views. And that's pretty crazy when you think, you know, you don't know how it feels, which, granted, is a masterpiece, has over 50 million. And rather astonishingly, I can only find one instance of this song ever being played live on a French TV show called Huba Huba, though I'm pretty sure I'm likely pronouncing that wrong. I'll add a link to that uh, in the episode notes as it's a fairly raucous performance. Um, and again, really interesting though, this one never made the live set for the Long After Dark tour or even the Fillmore residency when they were dusting off some of the deeper cuts. There's not a ton of complexity in this one and only a few small changes to what you might expect structurally, but it's another heartbreaker song that is perfectly executed and it's elevated somewhat by the lyrics. So I'm going to give Finding Out a fairly safe and solid 6 out of 10. I think it's a good closer to side one of the album, and it has a great tempo, a solid lyric, and as always, it's masterfully performed, but it's a slight drop in the overall sort of originality or quality compared to the rest of side one. Remember that you can continue to support humanitarian efforts in Ukraine in many different ways, and I would urge you to do so if you have the means. Um, as always, I've added a link to the Red Cross donation page in the episode notes, and I'll continue to do that until uh, until the crisis is over. 
Don't forget to follow me on Facebook and Instagram at The Tom Petty Project and on Twitter at Tom Petty Project. And of course, you can always find me on YouTube. So go follow, like, subscribe as applicable. And again, please leave a review or a rating if you haven't done already. If you have done already, thank you so much. I do read all of those, so I really appreciate that. Um, the Tom Petty Project is not affiliated in any way with the Tom Petty Estate, and when you're looking for Tom's music, please visit the official YouTube channel first to try to find what you're looking for, or go to official streams on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Prime, those kinds of places. And if you're looking for merchandise, please go to TomPetty.com. Um, all the official merchandise can be found there. Don't forget to check out the Tom Petty Nation and Tom Petty Fans Forever groups on Facebook if you're not already a member of those, as they are excellent fan communities and they're well worth your time. Until we meet again next week, keep listening to and sharing Tom's music. Try to be kind. Try to say I love you to someone at least once a day. Stay safe and healthy, and I'll be back with you next week to share a fantastic conversation I had with Dan Spice, who is the producer of the Tom Petty Weekend in Gainesville this year and in previous years. Uh, we chatted about the event and the stellar lineup, as well as Dan's experience living in Tom's hometown and his own journey through music. Bye-bye. <laughs>